Welcome to the Joplin Andrea podcast where we discuss all things faith, family, and fun. I am Andrea here with my husband and co-host Joplin. Welcome to today's show. Guys, welcome to the show. We hope you're having a great Friday so far. We are excited to have special guest with us today, Jill Ayers. Jill is with Restoration Family Services, and they are an organization that helps uh, with foster care here in the Kansas area. And uh, we've actually got Jill in for a special event next week. We're going to talk about that more later in the show. And uh, before getting to your organization, Jill, first of all, thanks for being with us today. We're glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. We would like to know a couple questions about foster care. I had the opportunity to meet with Jill last week, so um, I came home and thought, you know, this is a great idea for a podcast. And uh, Jill, can you tell us when did you very first become aware or connected? Um, when was your first experience with foster care? I actually grew up in the foster care system in Kansas, and I lived in over 20 foster homes, group homes, shelters. Um, I moved a lot. Went to during the time I was in high school. I was in five different high schools, and. Um, I aged out of foster care and moved into the dorm at school and um, then became a foster parent right after um, finishing college. And um, I was a foster parent for about 20 years in Omaha, and then I've been here in Kansas for about three and a half years and been a foster parent here. What, what age were you, when you, were you when you went into the foster care system? I was seven when I first went in. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a little off where I'd planned to go, but I'm curious. I'm curious, uh, what was that like for you? I just want to ask this question because I'm afraid I won't get back to it later when we talk about some of these kids that need to be uh, placed at home. What was that like for you at seven years old, being taken out of the home? Were you scared? Were you happy that, I mean, was your situation bad enough that you felt safer? What was that like for you? Just give us a little bit of insight of like what's happening in the heart and mind of a seven-year-old that's entering the foster care system. It, it's very scary. It's very scary. You don't know um, who to trust and, and where you're going and what's happening. But also there's a sense of relief to be, um, in my situation, to be out of, of the situation I was in. Um, I they do things differently now a little bit than they did then um, I remember sitting in the courtroom at a table by myself in the middle of the courtroom and the judge asking the social worker that was sitting over to the side is there not anyone that will take any family that will take this child and the caseworker said no there's not and he banged his gavel and said she's a word of the state um, and I don't remember exact his exact words after that um, but I remember the, fo- the social worker walking toward me, and I thought I was going to jail. Um, and I just, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's something that's that stayed with me the rest of my life. And and I, you know, there are different organizations now that go to court with kids when they're first removed to make sure there's someone there to explain to them, you know, what's going on. But mm-hmm. um, every every transition, every new home, every new placement you know, is very scary. You don't know where you're going or, like I said, who to trust or what's going to happen. And um, it's, it's, you're very alone, very alone. Um, and one thing then that still happens today is the, um, the, 
caseworkers and guardian ad litems, everyone involved in the child's life um, is very transit. There, there's a lot of new people all the time, and caseworkers quit and move on. You get so there's no one constant, consistent person to follow these kids through. Um, and like that's that's really not gotten better. And so um, that'd be difficult. Yeah. Really yeah. difficult. Yeah. Um, maybe tell us a little bit like what it was like to have um, foster children come into your home with like your own biological children. I had my oldest daughter, my biological daughter, I waited until she was probably four before I, I started taking foster kids. Um, so she grew up with foster children coming and going and she did very well, very, um, didn't have really any issues. She was very compassionate, very um, nurturing, very, um, my my second daughter um, that I adopted out of foster care, I got her when she was seven and she, so she grew up with kids coming and going. She struggled a little bit, but um, um, all of my girls, my 12 my year old that I have now, I got her when she was two months and she's 12 now and I adopted her. Um, so she grew up, has grown up with kids coming and going. All of my girls are just very compassionate, wonderful, nurturing people. You know, we haven't had, I've, I've just not had any um, negative, you know, there was some insecurity with my 12 year old there for a while when she was younger. Um, I had kids leave at Christmas time three years in a row that had been with us for a while. And she said, Mommy, wh next Christmas do I have to leave? And yeah. so we worked through that. <laughs> it was sad. Um, but so there has been some insecurities and stuff that we've had to work through. But overall, you know, we haven't had any big issues. Did yeah. you ever, did you ever feel like, um, that as a parent, how, how many biological kids did you have? I have one, one. biological. And how many adopted children? I've adopted four out okay. of foster care. Mm -hmm. Do you ever feel like, you know, your children that were um, either biological or adopted, that it was difficult at times to invest in them and, and meet their needs with new kids coming into the home that, and this is maybe just a false assumption of mine, but I would assume that some of these new children coming into the home, at least on the, you know, as they're getting acclimated, are gonna need a lot of attention mm -hmm. and, and you're really gonna need a lot of focus. Mm -hmm. You can't just expect, you know, hey, they're, they, we've taken some children into the home and everything's just gonna work. Like it's gonna take some extra time and effort. Did you ever feel like the time and energy that you needed to put into having the foster children in the home impacted your relationship with your kids in a negative way? You know, there's always times that I wish there was more of me and um, and feel like you're not enough for everybody, for anybody, um, because you're stretched so thin. But overall, and I, I always say this in, in every training that I do, um, I don't know how to explain it, it, but there is every child, every time a child comes into your home, there's just a strength, um, and it only comes from God. I mean, yeah. that's the only... Um, it's just a strength and a power, you know, you just, um, 
every every child in my home is treated the same. We're all we do everything together. We do you know we have homework time and we have bedtime and we we on Sunday afternoons we have family time where we we do the same thing um, every week and I can talk more about that later. But um, everybody's just kind of everybody gets the same. I guess is what I'm saying. And even the kids that come in that are struggling and um, need that they they part of it the kids that are already in the home new kids coming in attach very quickly to those kids and it, they attach probably more quickly to the other kids than they do to me um, but it all just kind of it all just kind of flows I mean it really does there's bumps and there's hard times and there's um, times that one child's going to need more than the other but then there's times that child needs you know it, it, it just like I said, there's there's a there's a strength there. There just is. There's a strength that just comes from God. <laughs> I, I want to speak to that with an observation I've noticed with families that are sacrific sacrificial, because um, I think there's a principle here, and I, I've watched it happen in our own family. I'll speak to that in a minute, but I believe the same is true when it comes to foster care. And quite honestly, I think the principle of just being a sacrificing family applies. One of the concerns is, is, hey, if we sacrifice here, will it impact our children negatively? You know, um, will, will I be able to do less for my son if I bring, you know, if I allow my, you know, if I, if we make a decision to take in a foster son, will I, you know, be able to give my daughters less attention if I bring in, you know, a foster daughter? I get the concern, but I'm just telling you an honest observation in 20 years of ministry that families that tend to be sacrificing their children tend to actually be um, more sacrificing themselves, mm -hmm. uh, more loving, more uh, wanting to serve. You know, one of the things our listeners know, Andrea and I do, is a whole lot of mission work. Um, and a lot of traveling, a lot of um, preaching and ministry in different states and in different countries and one of the you know concerns and questions occasionally has been you know how's that impact your kids well I think the answer is it impact them terribly if we didn't let them be part of it it'd be horrible if they didn't go with us if we just left them and you know had someone else take them and raise them but our kids go with us Mm -hmm. they, they, they travel with us into Honduras. They travel with us and minister with us, and they see what we're doing. They have a compassion to see those mm -hmm. things succeed because they've been invested into them. You know, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to be taking a break over Thanksgiving. Our family's going on a vacation, and so uh, keep that in mind with what I'm about to say. But the reality is we haven't been on a family vacation, a full family vacation, and I couldn't even tell you when. It's been a whole lot of years, and here's why. We tend to use our vacation time and what resources we have. Instead, we'll take our family to Honduras, uh, Mexico. We'll go somewhere to serve. Mm -hmm. And I have watched it. I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's On one hand, it's a sacrifice. And there's some people out there thinking, man, I would never do that. Our vacations have been so important to our family. And I get it. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just telling you that there is something that happens, though, when we stop serving ourselves all the time. And when we start serving others, and when we do it with our children, we expect it of our children, 
and they're doing it with us, I'm telling you, it actually instills something in our sons and daughters when they mm-hmm. see the importance from mom and dad of using what God's given us to help and serve others. And rarely, if ever, does it have the negative impact that we tend to think as people, we think the worst of you know what happens. And so um, my guess is it's very similar with foster mm-hmm. families. And honestly, I know a good handful of people that have done foster care throughout the years. And my honest observation is I think the same is true with their own biological children as I've watched them grow up in, in you know, being foster families. So um, we've got Jill here, and Andrea and I have discussed foster care a handful of times, um, being uh, the people that we are and um, – there's been some hesitations with our schedule and some of these questions, and I know we're not the only ones. And so I'm going to ask Andrea, what are some of the questions you would have for Jill as a father? You know, what's it like being a foster parent? What are some of the concerns and questions you've always wanted to know? Sure. Um, well, one of the questions that I've wanted to know, and I know a handful of others that have just that's been a discussion and they've asked too, is that I know for one, um, I've heard in the past that like you have to do a lot of things to your home to even be able to foster. And so can you maybe speak to that a little bit? And obviously you want it to be safe, but um, I've just heard before that, you know, maybe there's extremes. And so just, yeah, share what you need to do. You know, really most people's homes, if they have a heart to foster, most of your home, most people's homes are probably adequate to, to foster. There are small things that you have to do, but most of those things are things you do anyway. You know, you have to have smoke detectors and you have to have fire alarms and carbon monoxide detectors. Um, There has to be, in in Kansas, um, there has to be 40 square feet per child of bedroom space, um, which isn't very much. You know, small bedrooms, um, my home, I have a five bedroom home, but it's not a big home. There's not a whole lot of living space. The bedrooms are big. but I could have 15 kids in my home space-wise. They said, you know, and, and I have 15 beds in my home, counting cribs and everything. Um, and and it's, it's a smaller home. It's not a huge home. Um, but even people who live in, when I first started fostering, I lived in an apartment. Okay. And it was a two-bedroom apartment. And I just had my oldest daughter and I, obviously, but they um, licensed me for two kids in my apartment. Um, so you, and they come in, um, there's a list. They'll give you a list of things that you have to have done. Most people, like I said, there might be some minor things. You have to put baby gates on your patio. Um, if you have a deck, you know, that goes down, has to be a baby gate on there, has to be a baby gate at the top of your stairs um, that's attached, has to be a, a flexible baby gate at the bottom of your stairs if you're taking younger kids um you know your cleaning supplies have to be locked up your sharps have to be locked up out of reach i mean these are all things that are honestly you can pretty much usually get your house prepared for the inspection in a day you know just doing these little things that yeah yeah, well, that helps a lot. Um, let's see, is like if somebody were to sign up for foster care, is that like a full time for everything? Are there different options that people have that they could do as foster? Mm-hmm. Um, speak sure. to that maybe. Yeah, people that can't be or don't want to be full time foster parents, 
Um, there are a lot, there's a huge need for respite. Um, and what respite is, is um, in Kansas, it looks many different ways. Some, we have kids that are bouncing around the state without a home um, that just need a home for the night. So you can just um, say, you know, call me with a child for the night and I can say yes or no. Um, some people like me, you know, you go out of town and we need respite people to um, take my kids for mm -hmm. a weekend or something and do it that way. Um, and you can, you know, you, you can become a foster parent if it's not the right fit for you. You just say, I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> it's very, and you always, always, always have a say on what children are placed in your home. You can say no. Okay. You can always say no. And you... Um, you fill out a form with with what kind of children you are comfortable with when when you start when you go through the licensing process um, and you can mark on there you know I won't take a bedwetter I won't take a runner I won't take you know you can be very very specific and also specific as to what ages you'll take whether you'll take only boys or girls you can say you know I will I'll take five-year-old girls only <laughs> if you want you might wait a while for a placement but you can be very very specific in what children you'll take hmm, it's very good to know um, you mentioned this so I'm just gonna ask what happens when they can't find a home for them to have overnight care this is a huge 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 <laughs> problem in Kansas um, that's the reason I came to Kansas three and a half years ago. Um, a friend of mine here called and she said, Jill, do you know there were 111 kids on the list last night that, sorry, that didn't have a home? And so I started looking at what's going on in Kansas. And every night, every day, there are anywhere from 20 to 140 kids on this list that don't have a home, don't have a placement. Um, and an email goes out to every agency in Kansas every day with these, a list of these kids. And those agencies, if they have a home that will take them for the night, a driver picks the child up wherever they are. They can be in Hayes, in the office in Hayes, and they find a home in Kansas City or Wichita, um, and a driver will pick them up and take them to that home for the night, and a driver picks them up the next morning, takes wow. them back to that office, and they sit and wait for a home for that night. Um, some of those kids have been doing this for months and months, and um, I had I had a four-year-old boy show up at my door at 1.30 in the morning one time, and I was taking some of these kids every night that were on the list, and it was 1.30 in the morning, and I asked the driver, why is he just getting here? And the driver said, well, he's been in the car with me dropping kids off in other counties all night. He was from Hayes. Um, they picked him up at 6.30 the next morning, took mm -hmm. him back to Hayes, and he sat there and waited for a home for the next night. Um, they, you know, now our kids are sleeping in offices. If they can't find a home, those kids sit, sleep in the offices, and they now have started um, getting motel rooms. The, which just breaks my heart. Yeah. Um, so they have staff. They put these kids in a motel room and have staff monitor them um, in the motel room. So um, there's a lot of them. There's hundreds of kids that don't have a home. We have um, um, over 7,000 kids in, in state care and less than 2,400 foster homes. So there's just, you know, in some of these kids, I had an 11-year-old girl come for respite, and she had been bouncing for months. And it was almost time for school to start. And I asked the worker, I said, who's gonna buy her backpack and her school supplies and school clothes? I can go do that. And she looked at me, she said, Jill, you don't need to worry about it. She can't go to school, she doesn't have an address. Mm -hmm. 
she hadn't been in school for months and months because she didn't have an address. And um, so they're, you know, these are real kids, yeah. real little faces out there bouncing around with, with no place to go. It's hard. So tell us um, and tell our listeners, let's start with uh, somebody that's considering foster care, they're still kind of hesitant. You know, they're listening and they're like, wow, I think I'd like to help, but I'm still hesitant. What would you say to that person? Um, I would say there there are a lot of, um, well, personally, my first, my first reaction is always to say just jump in just do it <laughs> just mm-hmm. try it you know yeah. just talk about it. but i encourage people to talk to people like me talk to people that um can give them real answers don't call a foster care agency and get the scripted answers don't you know um but contact real people and and that that are really doing it and mm-hmm. really um and you know start off with respite maybe if you if you're thinking maybe i would you know and what to, is respite? Like I said, you can either, um, it can look very, very different. Um, there's several different ways that that can look. You can say, I'll take some of these kids that are bouncing every night, send me the list, and or send me some, you know, and you can say no, like I said. Or you can just get licensed to do, like, um, foster parents like me that go out of town, and you would just keep the kids for the weekend. It's basically babysitting. Um, okay. Yeah. And, but you have to be licensed to to do that. So, um, and you can always say no. Like I said, if they call and say we have a four-year-old boy that needs a home for the weekend, um, you can ask for behaviors. You know, ask it, determine whether or not they will fit into your home, and say yes or no. Um, but some people, a lot of people, do start out that way just to kind of see how their kids are going to react and how you know it's going to go. So at respite care, you would go through the same. Um front work of getting approved but rather than just opening your home and taking kids in permanently you could have the option to do you know just a weekend for another foster family that needs the weekend off or for whatever reason maybe they're got a funeral to go to out of state and foster kids don't want to go so just a couple days or these over you know overnight stays Mm -hmm. with these kids but it's it kind of give you a chance to get a feel for kids in the home, mm-hmm. okay, and see if you're. And they call that respite. Respite care. Okay, and we also need mentors. You know, you could mentor foster kids. You know, go through the background checks and, um, you know, identify a home that you want to mentor their their foster kids, or go through an agency. And you know, that we always need mentors. So that's a good way to get to kind of know the system and get to meet some of the kids and kind of see if you know it's going to be a good feel now foster care and adoption two very different things but andrea you had a question just kind of about the connection i did um so if somebody is like i'm really actually interested in adopting a child is foster care a good option for them like for eventually adopting or like do you have kids that are primarily up for adoption versus some that are maybe just in foster care to go back to the home? Mm-hmm. We, we have a whole bunch of kids sitting waiting for a permanent home. Um, and if you go onto the Adopt Kansas Kids website or some, there's some other websites, um, you can find those kids. Um, a lot of people, if you, if you, we have people that get licensed just to adopt. They don't want to do actual foster care. 
So they'll get licensed, go through the training, and then when a child comes in that they're interested in that's already up for adoption, then they can start that process. Um, most of the kids have to be in your home for six months as a foster child before you can adopt. Okay. Um, but and and honestly, if you go through like Adopt Kansas Kids, those I'm I'm not super familiar about that process. I I think it's um, it's different when you're going through an agency like that. But but if you have like if you license with our agency and you say I don't want to foster, I just want to adopt. Like I said, then we will um, find a good match and and start the process. So, okay. How many kids are there right now in Kansas that are foster children that do not have a place to stay, that are going through the process of every night being taken somewhere for a single night to stay? And then I said it's it's different every day, the number, um, but we, we have um, around 7,000 kids in state care out there and less than 2,400 foster homes. And so the, wow. these kids are they're out there um and every day that list changes but like i said sometime i mean it's anywhere from 20 to 140 kids um each night that are bouncing um and those are kids that i mean have nowhere and there are a lot of other kids that are in temporary homes or you know waiting to be but but we've got people that say i'll keep them until you find a home so they're not on the list for the night but they're still needing a home they so um hundreds and hundreds of kids that don't have a home yeah somebody is they've never you know they've never even dipped their toe in yet with foster care but after hearing uh, our podcast today they're thinking hey i want i want to at least i want to step into the water i want to see if this is for me Mm What do they do? How do they get in contact with with you or your organization? What steps do they need to take today? They can um, call. We're we're all over social media. Restoration Family Services all over social media, um, and they, I, and I don't. I should have the number memorized. I should have brought that. Um, but it's Restoration Family Services. They can call there, um, talk to anyone, start the process. Um, just get their questions answered um always always i'm the recruiter um but i'm also licensed with restoration family services um so i'm always always happy to talk to people and answer questions um i'm on facebook a lot of people private message me on facebook or friend me on facebook and and ask questions i will go wherever they're at wherever they need me to go to sit down with them and talk to them um and answer questions anyone in our office is always happy to answer questions um and if someone says i'm ready to start the process you know just contact me contact the office and say i'm ready to start and we'll get you hooked up and and we walk you know we take people by the hand and walk them through the process because it's scary when you've never done it don't know what it looks like don't know where to start don't um but we um We'll, we'll, the first thing we do is send a, a release of information to get your background checks run, and you fill out the paperwork for that, run the background checks. That's the first step. Um, then, you know, we set you up for a home study to walk through your home, and that's the time that we will tell you this is what you will have to do to get your home ready for the state to come in and, and license you. We walk through that with you, tell you how to do that, you know, whatever needs to be done. 
Um, and we set up the trainings. You go through the trainings, um, the tips map. I'm a tips map trainer, but I'm not training right now. Um, but that's, you know, the training and the home evals and everything. But, but we walk you through every step. And it's really not as horrible as it sounds. And, and, and right now, it's actually very easy to do the trainings because we're doing them virtually. And a lot of people didn't want to do the tips map because it's going to a group um, for, it's 30 hours over 10 weeks. And so, um, you know, it was finding time in their schedule to do that and everything. Right now we're doing them virtually and it's much more flexible. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people like the virtual training. Now, I know you guys work throughout all of Kansas, but your organization is headquartered in Wichita? We're in, we're, yeah, we're stationed in Wichita, but I work, we're all over Kansas. Okay. Mm-hmm. And finally, so if you would like something much more in person, uh, we would encourage you, if you've ever thought about it, if you're thinking about it in any capacity, we encourage you to join us next week. So Thursday, November 4th, we're hosting an event just to bring awareness um, to the need for foster parents. It's going to be in Derby, Kansas at the Well Worship Center at 6 p.m. Is that correct? That's that right. we settled on at 6 p.m. And uh, Jill's going to be there uh, sharing some information about uh, the stuff we've talked about today, but really wanted to get uh, some people in the room that you know, you've been curious about this, you're thinking about it, and you want some personal, you want the opportunity to ask your questions, Jill will be there to answer them. And so we plead with you, if you have ever thought about doing foster care, would you carve out, you know, two hours from six to eight, I don't know that it'll take that long, we just plan on it, carve out a couple hours on Thursday night, November 4th, uh, join us at the Well Worship Center in Derby, Kansas for a special night to bring awareness to the need for foster parents. Yeah. Jill, do you have anything else for us before we sign off today? No, I would mention um, one of the questions that I get a lot that people are concerned about and don't really want to come right out and ask is the financial responsibility and whether or not they can financially support kids. And they, you know, there is a small stipend you, you need to be able to financially support your family to take foster kids um, but there is a small stipend to cover extra things um, that come up with the kids um, but also their their medicals all covered um, most of the daycare if not all is covered so there is um, um, monetarily you know, most people can 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 if they can afford to support their family, they can afford to bring in foster okay. kids, I guess is my point. So. Very good. So you don't need to be... Um, you don't have to have extra funds. ...wealthy to... or anything like that to be able to make a difference in a life child and be a foster parent. No, you just... do not need to be wealthy. You don't have to... Um, Excellent. ...just be able to support your family. The other... The other concern I get a lot is, well, I don't want to get too attached and have to give them up. Um, I hear that all the time. And I, so I always, every training, every presentation, everything I do, I always tell this, and I'll make it a very condensed version of my story, but I always tell my Layla story because this is, <laughs> um, and, it, and it's been 10 years and I still get choked up, but um, I had a little girl that I got brand new out of the hospital um, she was 17 months old and mom relinquished her rights. Dad was in prison, supposed to be in prison for another 15 years. So we started the adoption process. Um, we actually started the process. She was almost three. 
Um, had never seen dad, met dad, heard from dad, nothing. Um, so we thought it would just be a very easy process. Um, long, long story short, um, he got out of prison. We found out he was an informant and got out of prison. She was almost four. Um, and he was very um, honest about the fact that he wanted her because the state would have to give him money. Um, and so he, after a horrible fight, he ended up getting her. She was four years old. She didn't know anybody but us and um, my kids and I. And um, and it was just absolutely horrible, absolutely horrific. Um, I, I, you know, I can honestly say the day I had to carry her out of my house was probably the worst day, for, worst thing that I've gone through. But after that, everybody asked me, how would you still do foster care after going through that? How would you do that again? And so I say to people, I never ever one time thought, I wish I hadn't done it or wouldn't do this again. Or um, I, oh, my thought was, what if she hadn't been with me? What if she hadn't had that attachment and that that bond that she had, she might have gone the rest of her life without that. Mm -hmm. And if she had been, you know, in a different place or bounced around or and not had that secure attachment, um, you know, we built her hardware strong. And so hopefully that would sustain her, you know, throughout all the bad stuff that she had to go through. Mm -hmm. And um, I would do it all over again in a second to give her that. So, so it is hard. You go through. There is heartbreak in in foster care, but you just keep your eyes on God and and um, and give these kids everything you can give them while you have them. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that's the only thing you can do for them. But it's worth it. It's worth it. So, Jill, thanks for being Thank with you. us today. Appreciate Thank you. what you do. Yes, and uh, pray that we can be a help to you. Hopefully, uh, we have a good group of folks that can join us next week, November 4th, at our event, 6 p.m. in Derby. And hope that you guys all have a wonderful Friday. That's right. Have a great weekend.